Well, good morning, church. My name is Eric. And what we're talking about this morning reminds me of something Jared always says um, in my office. Our offices are pretty close to each other. And one thing he always is talking about is Jesus taking more real estate of our lives, that, that Jesus having more real estate of our hearts. And so uh, this morning we're talking about Jesus having more real estate in our prayer lives, in our, in our communication uh, with him. Before we get started, I would love to invite the uh, offering ushers forward to take our offering as our act of worship. And our second announcement is this. Tonight at Purpose Church Claremont, The Hub, uh, we are going to be talking about how God is not fair because he's better than that. That God is not fair because he's better than that. So tonight is going to be a phenomenal. I want to invite you back there at 5 p.m. Um, as we kick off this morning, I want to open in prayer uh, in the way that I've been teaching our high schoolers to pray. Which is what I'm noticing in scripture is that three things God loves to do is he loves to comfort his people. He loves to convict his people. And he loves to compel his people forward on mission. That he loves to meet us where we're at in our brokenness. He loves to convict us that we might be more like him. And ultimately he wants to send us out that because we've gathered and we've opened his word and we've worshiped together, that something about our lives would be different because of that. So would you join me as we pray and we invite our heavenly father to do that in our hearts. God, we love you, heavenly father. We are so grateful for who you are. We just want to ask that this morning, God, that, that you would comfort us in the places we need to be comforted, God. Where there is pain and where there is hurt, would you bring peace and comfort this morning, God? And in the parts of our heart that need to be shaken up, that, that need to be convicted, I pray that you would convict us. And, and God, because we've gathered and because we've read your word and um, because your Holy Spirit is active in our lives, would we be compelled to be different people, to be more like you in our neighborhoods and our families at work? We love you. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're talking all about communication. Because for those of us who have been following Jesus, maybe for a little while, maybe, maybe there's some of you that you're brand new to following Jesus. This is maybe some of the greatest news you'll ever hear. God wants to talk with you. That God is actually excited to talk with you. That God wants to have a kind of relationship with you where you guys are talking to one another. But oftentimes, oftentimes, our communication can get a little skewed. Or it can become kind of about ourselves. Or, or, or maybe for some of you, if, if you're like me and you're going to be real honest for a second, that you find yourself in desperate times praying desperate prayers. But that maybe there is this, this inconsistency in your prayer life. Maybe, maybe there's this intensity for a season or in a moment and then it kind of flatlines for a little bit. For me, it reminds me of when I was a ninth grader and, and my buddies Ryan, who had a driver's license at that time, and Mark decided we were going to go skateboard at this awesome new park. And so uh, we got in Ryan's truck and it was a small little truck. And so Ryan was driving. Mark was in the passenger seat. And since I was like the little guy, they kind of threw me in the back bucket seat. And so I'm sitting back there in the back bucket seat and, and we drive to this skate park and we're skating and having a great time. And then on our way home, we decide, man, we got to stop at a store and we got to get some drinks because we're so thirsty. And so we stop, we get some drinks. And I remember I got a, a big old Gatorade and my buddy Ryan, who was driving, he got a two liter Coca-Cola and Mark in the passenger seat, 
he got a two-liter Dr. Pepper. Now, something you know about Mark. Uh, he was that guy, and maybe, honestly, some of you were that guy, and, and I was kind of that guy in some ways, where sometimes he'd think of these crazy ideas, and for some reason, like, that filter in his brain that should have been, like, that alarm that should have been, like, stupid idea, stupid idea, stupid idea, for some reason was, like, disconnected. I don't know if you know people like that. Maybe you're sitting next to somebody like that. I don't know. But, but you know those people that kind of just think of, of ridiculous things, and, and Mark had one of those ridiculous ideas. As, he was driving, as we were driving down the freeway, Mark, who's sitting in the passenger seat, he's drank about half of his Dr. Pepper. And he comes up with this ridiculous idea. He says, you know, I'm, I'm gonna roll down the window and I wanna throw this Dr. Pepper out the window. And instantly, you guys, I said, you guys, this is a horrible idea. Mark, please do not do this. And I began praying. I said, Jesus, please, now would be a great time to reenact a left behind scene. Okay, you just like you and I, let's just go. You know what I mean? You just take me up. We'll be done with this whole thing. They can throw their coats or do whatever they want to do. But get me out of here. And I was so desperately praying. And Jesus did not come back. And so we're sitting there in the car and I'm like, Mark, please don't do this. Mark, don't do this. But Mark's like, hey, this might be a good idea. And I'm like, no, man, what are you thinking? But he rolls down his window and he takes his Dr. Pepper. And it's, I'm, this, obviously I'm not recommending this at all. This was a horrible idea. He grabs this Dr. Pepper and he chucks it out the window. And I remember watching it. I remember like slow-mo. You know how you have those moments in life that are like really slow-mo? I feel like I have a lot of those. But, but these moments where, where it's just slow-mo, the Dr. Pepper two-liter bottle is just like flying in the air. And I'm just praying, Jesus, please let it just land, you know, on, on the side. Please, please, Jesus, let nothing come of this. Jesus, please take me home. That would be the best solution right now, please. None of those things happen. What ends up happening with the Teffel two-liter Dr. Pepper Pepper bottle is as it is spinning, it lands on top of a brand new Chevy Silverado. Now, this Silverado was in mint condition. This Silverado was so nice. This Silverado was clearly owned by somebody who cared a lot about their car. And here comes this two-liter Dr. Pepper lands on their car. And instantly I go, this is not going to turn out well, right? And so we're driving. We actually begin kind of this high-speed pursuit as we're driving down the freeway. The Silverado is following us. And at one moment, Ryan makes this daring move to get off the freeway. He exits and the Silverado passes us. And instantly I'm like, oh my gosh, I can breathe again. I can breathe again. And I'm having this panic. I'm like, Jesus, please, seriously, come back now. Please come back now. He didn't come back. As we're driving, Mark and Ryan decide, you know what? Let's stop at one last skate spot. And again, you guys, I'm like, you guys are idiots. Please take me home. I never want to hang out with you again. I never want to be in the car with you again. Take me home. Get me out of this situation. Jesus, please show up. And they decide to stop at this last spot to skateboard. And this spot was so secluded right? Like there was forests around us. People could not hear us for miles and miles and miles. So this place was everything scary to me. And I said, guys, I'm not getting out of the car. I am staying seated here. Please come back as soon as you can. And so I'm sitting in the car and this was before cell phones, right? So I didn't have like, you know, angry birds. I couldn't text anybody. I didn't have anything to do there. So I'm just kind of sitting there in the car, like trying to buy time. And all of a sudden driving down the street, is the Chevy Silverado. Like how, right? Like how 
is that even possible? I have no idea. Maybe he threw like a GPS tracker under our car or something. I don't know what he did. But here comes this Chevy Silverado down the street. And I am not the bravest guy. I'll be like the first to admit it. Like if I think, you know, there's a burglar in the house, I'm just going to send Sarah. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just going to send my wife. You know, like I'm not that like super macho brave guy at all. And so instantly my heart drops and, and I, I'm like, I, I think I'm going to like pee my pants. Like I really think like something horrible is going to happen because this is awful. Like this guy is going to eat us or kill us or do something awful to us. And so he comes driving down. I'm screaming like a fourth grade girl, just like screaming at my friends, like guys, get back in the car, get back in the car. They come jump in the car. He pulls right in front of us and this dude gets out. And I'm telling you, I mean, he is like world's strongest man. You know what I mean? Like he gets out there and I'm like, this is going to hurt. You know what I mean? Like this is actually going to hurt what's about to happen to little ninth grade me. And, and, and he walks over to us and what he begins to do is he begins to, to call us names and, and, and use such profanity that I honestly never heard before. And, and it, was, it was rather artistic the way he chose to describe each one of us. If you're kind of catching my drift a little bit. So, so yeah, I, you know, there, was, there was some of us like, wow, I've, I've never been called that and that and that and that, and that, and that before. That's, that's kind, of, kind of incredible. And then he says this, he's like, you're lucky. He's got a really deep voice. He's like, you're lucky my son is in the car or else I kill you. Thank you, Jesus, that this man had a son. Thank you, God, that this man had a son. Eventually, he ends up leaving. We drive home. And I find that my prayer life, I find that my prayer life has these amazing peaks because of the trouble I get into, because of the crisis that I find myself in, because of the issue that I'm facing, that I'm desperately praying because of some situation I'm in. And then my prayers kind of flatline. And then I get to this moment, and maybe some of you have been there before, where, where you wake up late and, and, and you have like a really big uh, project that's due. Have any of you ever been there before where like you got a big presentation or, or you have a really important meeting to get to or, or you have a lecture to deliver or whatever. And all of a sudden you're driving on the freeway and you're like, God, you separated the Red Sea. You can separate the 210 for me, God. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're driving like, God, do this for me. Like, God, you, you, you held the sun still for Joshua. Do that for me. I need a few. I need five more minutes, God. And, and we, we desperately are praying. And then our prayers kind of flatline. What I want to do together this morning is I want to look at a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And I want to look at it together because I think it has the power to transform the way you talk with God. I think it has the power to transform each one of you because it's had the power to transform me. And what Jesus sets up for us is not a ritual or a certain prayer that he wants us to pray word for word, but it's, it's a guide. It's a template. It's like a key that unlocks a whole new experience in prayer with God. I want to share with you a quote as we begin by uh, the great Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century British pastor and theologian. This is what he has to say about prayer. He says, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this. The measure of the intensity of your prayer. I am not speaking about the quantity of it, for there are some who, for a pretense, make long prayers. No, no, no. I am speaking about the reality of it. The intensity of it. And so my question is, how, how real is your prayer life? How real is your communication with your God. 
So to set us up, Jesus does something kind of funny. He gives us three things. He gives us three things to remember that if we want to have no power in our prayers, so if you want to have zero power in your prayer, if you want your prayers to be totally ineffective, make sure you do these three things. And he gives us these three things because each of us can fall into praying in these ways. And so Jesus cautions us before he teaches us how to pray with power. The first caution that Jesus gives us is this. If you want to pray with no power, you need to focus on how many people are watching you. Your prayer life needs to be all about how many people are seeing you pray, how much fame you're getting for your prayers, how much people are thinking you are holy for your prayers. And he describes it this way in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse five, Jesus says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus says, if you want to have zero impact in your prayer life, if you want your prayers to flatline, if you want to just have kind of this desperate prayer life, make sure when you pray, it's all about people seeing you. It's all about the attention that it brings to you. The second cautionary tale Jesus tells us is, is if you want to pray with no power, make sure you impress God with your fancy words. Make sure you understand that that God only listens to the people who who pray with such a high vocabulary. Jesus says this in verse seven. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And thirdly, if you want to have no impact in your prayer life, essentially what Jesus is saying is you need to cut these three things out of your prayer life. Make sure you spend your entire life prayer on yourself. Make sure the sum of your prayers is you. Make sure you are the main character of every single pray, every single prayer you pray. And Jesus says it this way in verse eight, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, as you'll see, as Jesus teaches us and guides us in prayer, there is a room and a place for praying to Jesus about the things we need and about the struggles we have. But I love what Jesus does here because he sets up for us a template. He sets up for us a guideline of of how we can pray in a way that is effective, in a way that is powerful. So if you want to have power in your prayers, this, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Join me in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse nine. Step one, if you're taking notes, step one is this. If you wanna have power in your prayers, you need to begin your prayers recognizing who you're talking to. You need to begin your prayers recognizing who you're talking to. Jesus said it this way. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. You see, before we even jump into our needs or or before we even get into the depths of prayer, the thing that we have to understand about praying is that it is not to some random God out there. It is not to some random higher power. It is to a Father. 
You see, God is not interested in your prayer life being transactional. Like when we go to the bank and, and we deposit some money and we get some money. That's not the kind of prayer. That's not the kind of communication God wants to have with you. God does not want a transactional prayer life with you. He wants a relational prayer life with you. And a relationship begins when people connect with each other. And so, so God wants to make it, Jesus is trying to make it crystal clear here that we open up in prayer, recognizing that we have a heavenly father. And friends, I know that as I even say those words, father, man, something in you just stirs up and you go, why do you have to pick that word? Man, my dad was so mean to me. Man, my dad was always tearing me down. My dad still tears me down. Man, my parents, they abandoned me at an early age. I never felt loved by my parents. And let me sincerely apologize that you had that experience. But Jesus isn't afraid to redefine for you what fatherhood is. Because he wants you to relate with your heavenly father in a different way. And he wants you to understand that your heavenly father maybe somewhat like your earthly father if you had a great earthly father, or he might be the complete polar opposite of your broken earthly father. Because your heavenly father is gracious. Your heavenly father has a steadfast love for you. Your heavenly father knows your thoughts. Your heavenly father takes time to be familiar with all of your ways. The scriptures say that your heavenly father bottles up your tears. The tears that you cry, the pain that you experience, your heavenly father is bottling those up. He knows every hair on your head. As Zephaniah 3.17 says, your heavenly father is actually singing songs of love over you. You see, your heavenly father is crazy about you. Your heavenly father created you, loves, and totally adores you. And so Jesus wants to redefine for you what father is. There's a boy uh, in our youth group who a few weeks ago, he was talking to me and he was so excited to go and see his mom and, and him and his social worker were going to go and, and visit his mom. And he was just so amped and so excited about that experience. This boy and his social worker show up to the house and, and turns out his mom is just totally high on heroin. Doesn't even recognize him. Can't even care for him. And the social worker says, well, you can't stay here. And so she takes him back. And, and, and I talked to this boy a, a few weeks after that, and he was so angry and he was so hurt because his parents had let him down. But you know what he needs? He needs to know that he has an earth, a heavenly father who will never let him down. That he is a heavenly father who promises all throughout scripture that we don't need to be afraid because he is with us. And the same goes for some of you who have been so wounded by your father or by your mother or by a parental figure or by the foster care system or by whoever. You, you, you have experienced unimaginable pain and you could line up and tell story after story after story of the pain that you have experienced. Well, I have some good news for you this morning. Your heavenly father is nothing like that. Your heavenly father is crazy about you and he wants you to connect with him in that relationship. And while he is your heavenly father, he is also holy, which means he is set apart, which means he is different, which means he is responsible for all creation. It means he has all the power in the world. It means he is amazing. He is miraculous. He is able to do all things. 
That he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that big God wants to be your father. So step one, if you want to have a powerful prayer life, you got to begin recognizing who you're talking to. Maybe for some of you, as you begin to even invoke God and as you begin to pray, you need to just pause and just say, God, I'm going to be silent and just be aware of who you are. Before I rush into this and that and all the things I want to do, I need to pause and say, oh my goodness. I'm talking with the God of all things. Step two, if you want to have a powerful and effective prayer life. Step two, you need to, after you recognize who he is, you need to seek his will before you seek your own. You need to seek his will before your own. Jesus says it this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus doesn't open up this prayer and saying, God, you know all the things I need. Would you jump on board with my mission? Would you jump on board with the things I want you to help me with? No, no, no. Jesus reverses it and says, look, the ways of heaven are far better than the ways of earth. That Jesus has always been about bringing the kingdom of heaven closer and closer to earth. And get this, friends, he wants to use you to do that. And he wants to use me to accomplish that. So I have a question for you that I, that I hope nags at you, that I hope you wrestle with. And it's this, whose kingdom are you living for? With your money, your time, your energy. Whose kingdom are you living for? Because you will build one of two kingdoms. You will build your own kingdom or you will be a part of building the kingdom of heaven. At this church alone, there are hundreds and hundreds of students. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children in our kids' ministry who they're looking to you. They're looking to me. They're looking to us to to, to help teach them what it means to follow Jesus, to model for them what it means to be in a love relationship with Jesus. And our children and our students, their lives are hanging in the balance and the enemy wants them for hell and God wants them for heaven. And I think God is asking each one of us this morning, are you willing to stand in the gap for our kids? Are you willing to stand in the gap for our students? I got a son that's almost three. And Scott, the missionary, Scott, the missionary who just got up and interviewed, he, he was one of the guys who, who was a part of uh, my son's VBS experience. And I'm so grateful to Scott because there's coming a time where Charlie's not just listening to me anymore. And I need the church. I need Scott that entire week to love my son and to show my son what it means to follow Jesus. And church, we have, we have so many young people at this church. We have so many amazing older people at this church and we need together to not be about building our own kingdom, but to be about building the kingdom of heaven. As you're thinking about your work right now, as you're thinking about your spouse, as you're thinking about your roommates, as you're thinking about the relationships that you're in, what if you, what if you began conflicts? Let's say like you have a conflict with somebody or, or you have an issue that you're having to work through. What if you ask this question in the middle of every single conflict or issue. Heavenly Father, what's your will for this situation? Heavenly Father, how do you want me to handle this conflict, this issue? 
So that at work tomorrow morning, when you get that email where somebody rips into you, maybe you didn't even do it. Maybe it wasn't your fault. What if before you apply, before you try to justify yourself, before you try to attack them and reveal all the ways that they've messed up, or, or, or maybe your spouse, right? Maybe your spouse just lays into you and, and you're feeling some tension in that relationship and you just want to let them know how you're feeling and how hurt you are. What would it mean to ask this question? Heavenly Father, how do you want me to handle this? Heavenly Father, how do you want me to respond to this? Heavenly Father, what is your will in this situation? Because your Heavenly Father's will will always be infinitely better than your will. Every time. The third step is if you want to have power in your prayers, this is that moment where Jesus invites us to be honest with our Heavenly Father to be honest and real with our heavenly father. And Jesus says it this way. So simply give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. This is that moment where you get to be really honest with Jesus about what you're going through. Really honest with Jesus about the struggle that you carry. You know, for us, many of you know about our daughter um, who's almost a year and a half and it was almost a year ago that our baby girl had open heart surgery. And I remember you guys, I mean, we still go through this. We're still, as a family, the Holmstrom family is praying constantly, God, would you heal our baby girl? God, God, would there, would there never need another surgery again? God, but, but friends, as I'm reading this prayer, if that's all my prayers are, if my prayers begin and end with my desires, I will miss God. I will miss a relationship with him. And so my prayers are this, Heavenly Father, you are amazing. You are good. That whatever happens here, God, you are incredible. And God, your will be done in my life. Your will be done in Brinley's life. Your will be done in my family's life. And then at that moment, I get to say, would you heal her? Would you continue to work in her life? Would you do the miraculous through her? Would you use her story to change people's lives and to draw people closer to you, Jesus? But it's got to find its right place there. Step four is this. And, and, and this might be that one that, um, that is incredibly difficult and challenging for you. Jesus invites us, if you want to have power in your prayers... You need to forgive them because God forgave you. you. You need to forgive him. You need to forgive her. You need to forgive your spouse. You need to forgive your coworkers. You need to forgive your boss. You need to forgive your employees. You need to forgive your kids because God forgave you. And, and here, here's, here's the interesting part about forgiveness is forgiveness is not something you wait until you feel it, right? Like who feels like forgiving? Nobody ever feels like forgiving. Forgiveness is a choice. John Eldridge writes about it a little bit and he says it this way. Now you must understand forgiveness is a choice. It is not a feeling, but an act of the will. As Neil Anderson has written, don't wait to forgive until you feel like forgiving. You will never get there. Feelings take time to heal after the choice to forgive is made. I love this last part. And this has been so true in my life. Maybe it's true in yours as well. As someone has said, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and then discovering the prisoner was you. 
Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and then realizing that prisoner was you. There's a girl that I know who I've been talking with for uh, maybe the last like nine months. And, and when I met this girl, I remember I was kind of asking her about her life, hearing about her story. And, and, and she told me this. She said, Eric, my sole goal in life, my sole goal in life is to make more money than my stepdad. So that I can rub it in his face. All the times that he physically abused me. All the times he verbally abused me. For all those moments where I remember being curled up in the corner. And my dad just, my stepdad screaming at me and yelling at me. I can't wait to make more money than he ever had. So I can rub it in his face. And I can make him feel this small. Like he's made me feel my entire life. See this girl has all the reason in the world to hate her stepdad. She has all the reason in the world to want to get back at him, to want to hurt him. And even in her tone, I could just hear the woundedness. And then a few weeks ago, it's been about nine months now, this girl has accepted Christ since then. She's began to follow Jesus closer. She's really exploring what it means to be in a relationship with Christ. And and we were at a graduation party and I asked her, I said, hey, how how are things going with your stepdad? And you guys, it blew my mind. You know what she told me? She said, Eric, the craziest thing has happened. I've started praying for him. She said, I've actually started praying praying for him because I'm realizing like he doesn't know Jesus. I'm realizing he doesn't have a relationship with God and he is so hurt and so wounded. And so I've started praying for him. And I think I'm even starting to forgive him. And it blew me away because this girl has every reason in the world, according to the world, according to our culture, to write her dad off, to say, dad, you have abused me. You have hurt me. I will write you out of my life. You will never have a part in my life. But what does that kind of thing do? All that does in us is it builds resentment. It builds anger. It's like a disease that begins to take over us. And we think we're hurting that person, but all the while we're just poisoning ourselves. But friends, can I remind you as as humbly and kindly as I know how to? God never, God never wrote you out of his life. God never said, I'm done with them. God never said, that's the last time I'm, I'm out. God never said that to any of us. In fact, God did the exact opposite. As Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still abusing him and neglecting him and rejecting him, Jesus came. God showed up and died for us that we could have a relationship with him. That is the picture of forgiveness. And so for some of you right now, I don't know who that person is in your life, but you need to forgive. And I understand it's a process and and you might need your rooted group or your life group or your Sunday school class or, or your community, whatever that looks like to walk through that with you. But you need to begin the process and the journey of forgiving them because God has forgiven you of everything. And then lastly, if you want to have power in your prayers, 
You need to hand your struggles, your addictions, your brokenness. You need to hand it all over to God because only God can overcome and deliver you. And this might be the one that for a lot of you is really hard because maybe this addiction is something you are constantly wrestling with. And, and you've convinced yourself, whether it's anxiety or whether it's a drug or whether it's, it's an addiction to something you're looking at online or, or gambling or whatever it may be. You're going, God, I have been wrestling with this for so long. You must hate hearing from me. And he's going the exact opposite is true. I love hearing from you. So for some of you, this might be really challenging to be really vulnerable with God. But remember, it's not about acting like we have it all together. It's not about having the fancy words. It's about being honest with our heavenly father. And Jesus says it this way in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is an evil one who wants to destroy you, who wants to rob you of life. And there is a heavenly father who wants nothing more than to be in an intimate, powerful, transforming relationship with you. But your prayers can't be these desperate prayers and then that flatline and then desperate prayers and then flatline and then desperate prayers and flatline and and prayers always being about you. But Jesus has given us a model and a template for how we can pray. And so as we wrap up, what I want to do together is I want us to say this prayer together. But knowing that this isn't just a ritual, this isn't just something that, that, you know, God wants us at at night or in the mornings to to kind of pray this prayer and then be done with our day. But this, this is the key that will unlock power in your prayers. And so before we read it, may you remember that, that, that as you begin to pray, begin by recognizing who you're talking to. And then be honest with God about your desire to seek his will over your will. And then thirdly, be honest. God actually wants you to be honest about your needs for that day, about the issues of that day. He wants you to be honest about those. And then God's going to invite you to forgive them, to forgive that person because he has forgiven you. And lastly, he wants you to get real vulnerable and admit to him that you cannot save yourselves. You cannot deliver yourselves. You cannot heal yourselves. That only God can deliver you. So what I want us to do together is I want us to say this prayer. It's going to come up on the screen. And we're going to say this out loud together as a way of affirming that this will be how we pray from here on out, knowing that we have a heavenly father who adores us. Let's read it together on three. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's do that, church. Let's be that kind of church that has power in our prayers. We're going to transition into a time of communion. I can think of no better transition than than the reality and the truth that we would never even be able to communicate with God apart from him showing us his grace and his love and dying on the cross for us. That there would be no sin between us, that there would be no brokenness in our relationship with God, but that there would be total freedom 
And so the father sacrificed his son on our behalf. That Thursday night before Jesus was crucified, he, he gathered with his disciples and, and he, he broke the bread and he said, guys, this bread is a symbol of my body that is going to be broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is, is a symbol of, of my blood that is going to be shed for the forgiveness of anyone and everyone who will receive me. And then they instruct to do this when you gather. So I'd love to invite the pastors up to assist as we enter into a time of communion.